and you're like, oh my God, my biggest goal ever was to just land a job as an actor. Now I landed a job. The first thing you think about is that actor over there won an Emmy for their job. And it's like, boy, I wish I could do that. And then, then you win an Emmy and you go, you know, that person who won an Emmy, this other person then got a big role in a movie because of their TV show. And then it's like, oh, and then, oh, that person, then they won an Oscar or that person produced the best picture winner and made a hundred million dollars. Or that person bought a mansion or this, like, and it's like, no matter what hill you're on, you'll always see another higher one that someone else is standing on. Mm -hmm. And you can either just choose to treat it as a destination or you can just hate that person for being on that hill and that you're not on there with them. Hello, everyone. Um, Angela Bermudez. Hi, I'm Austin, and we're both melting. I think I'm going to melt faster than you now that I turn off my air so we avoid the noise of the fan. Yep, my background fan noise, courtesy of my air conditioner, which is basically currently keeping me alive because I would burst into flames or melt or both like lava sort of melting and on fire at the same time. It's too hot. It's a hundred two? hundred Yeah, it's definitely degrees? north of a hundred. Absolutely brutal. So we can, we can do this. F- yes, I was gonna s- give a really cheesy segue and go, uh, the heat makes me very envious of people in colder oh climates right now. <laughs> My friends in Australia, where it's winter. I was gonna say, yeah, you were there already, enjoying the coldness, the yeah, the wind, rain and the hail, the freshness, the rain. Yeah, I miss that. Yeah, it was. I miss the rain. We we used to have. Well, I used to have that a lot in Costa Rica, and actually, yes, every time I talk to my mom, it's like raining, uh, or cold. Sometimes it's very I mean, it's hot. It's quite literally one of the rainiest places on all of Earth. Costa Rica, yeah, like in the in the f- rainforest areas, like in the actual sort of jungle yeah, well, regions. I wouldn't say that because I don't know how legit that statement is. But yes, it's very rainy. Now I have to check. Oh, my God. OK, go ahead. Uh, let's see here. The top 10 wettest places. It's not in the top 10. So okay. I guess. Yeah, it's a very normal. It's not normal. You have a rainforest. That's more than normal. Most places on the earth don't have rainforest. Maybe. For for the sake of the trivia, though, Hawaii, two different spots, one on Kauai and one on Maui. Those are the top two uh, rainiest places on earth, followed by Cameroon, a spot, a particular location in Cameroon in Africa, uh, Equatorial Guinea, New Zealand, Colombia, and two different spots in India. Hmm. Isn't one of those islands in, in Hawaii... Uh, that they did the Jurassic Park. Yep, the the one at the first one. And Kauai. it was, they got they got like this uh, storm, uh, ruined the movie. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. there is some drama there. I can't quite remember, but yeah, there was some like a like a hurricane essentially screwed up the filming. Yeah, they um, had yeah they had to stop, and even they they were thinking uh, on stopping at all and just going back to LA there's something like that I wish I could remember I, I, I read it I went there and I'm they you know because it's so famously associated with Jurassic Park there's a lot of trivia that you can learn around oh, and I definitely remember reading cool. something along those lines 
Um, mm-hmm. But I can't for the life yeah, of me. Yeah, I now. didn't know. I didn't know it was that raining to be in the top three. I don't. I don't know if this list it starts with number ten or starts with number one. So it's either the tenth most or the the first. <laughs> but it's there. So the top ten, which is impressive. Yeah, at the top of one of the mountains. I mean, look, the entire island is. It's like if a hurricane comes and blows all the trees down and whatever, they're back in like ten minutes. I mean, it's just. It, it is the opposite of where I grew up in Colorado, where trees take a hundred years to grow because it's so dry and so, you know, cold. And yeah. so, yeah, Hawaii is pretty amazing. The funny thing, the little uh, random last piece of trivia about Kauai that when you visit, you notice there's chickens everywhere running around. What? And you think, oh, there must be chickens from here. But it turns out there was a hurricane at one point that like blew through and ripped apart a bunch of <gasps> farms and they just bred out of control in the wild. And now they just can't stop that there's chickens everywhere. Um, oh, so wow. it's basically so they're like wild chickens. They're wild, yeah. They're like the parakeets <laughs> in LA that supposedly are because of a pet store that they got away from. Well, that's a little more controlled. I haven't seen too many. Well, I mean, there's thousands of them. Um, they just followed me here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They just followed me. So yes. So anyway, I am envious of people in cold climates. Uh, as my really lame mm-hmm. sort of quasi dad joke segue into yeah. uh, let's see if you didn't have any issues with moving which city would you like to live mm. because of the weather because obviously this is not this is like the opposite of what you love you're a very hot guy you get you you just can't stand the heat the I sun. mean LA is pretty hard to beat because it's only like this a short period each summer most of the year in LA is really mild and that's amazing still like yeah this is a desert and you're definitely not well but I prefer desert to tropical because the humidity is the worst so uh, I'll take dry heat but the skin the skin glows no I'd rather look like a lizard <laughs> A dry lizard yeah. changing. I don't know. Uh, I mean, look, I, this climate is pretty hard to beat. I, I, if it's if it's only climate we're talking about, um, yeah, I don't. I'd have to think about this a minute longer because most New York. Oh God, from a climate perspective, New York is awful. It, it, summers are really the summers are just as hot as this, except super humid. Um, and then in winter, wow. it's the coldest fucking winter because. And it's like, and it's that awful thing where, you know, every building is super warm to keep the people inside warm. So you put on these mm-hmm. thick coats because it's freezing outside, and then you come in and you're instantly sweating because you're in a hot room covered in cold clothing. That's crazy. I guess I've just been there in like a very cool temperatures, and I don't know exactly how it's to live there the rest of the year. Yeah, to me, summers, uh, and winters both are far more extreme. Fair enough. Uh, and the fact that you're constantly going indoor and outdoor, you're not like you're, you're having to adjust a lot. It, I will say the flip, though, of going inside to a heated building and having to strip off all your heavy coats and scarves and everything. Uh, the flip of that was always kind of nice where they would blast these turbocharged air conditioners down in the subway. So you would be a million degrees up on the street and then go down into the subway and on the platform it would be boiling and then you get into the actual train and it was like a refrigerator and it felt oh so nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was always heaven. But then you get back out and instantly you're back on the platform where it's underground tunnels that are a million degrees. That sounds very unpleasant. Um, so yeah, that, that act of waiting for the train to come in the heat was always like 
just ugh. Yeah. I guess you're a Colorado boy. I prefer LA's climate to like Denver, for example. Oh, what? Um, okay. Well, I'll stop here because, yeah, we're not going anywhere. Well, well, what's your answer? <laughs> My answer? I don't know the states very much. so. But of places you've been, I guess? You know, I was born and raised in a very tropical, cool uh, environment. Uh, I'm used to rain. I like the smell of the rain and I like... I dislike the sun period um i i yeah i don't like how my skin feels here uh but um you know i can deal with that it's not the end of the world it's just like if if we could change something about la i i definitely will keep the temperature lower part of it is because we live in the valley if we live down in santa monica it's solidly 20 degrees colder most of the day most of the time the ocean uh, uh, makes things wow. a lot fresher. You will, you will think that's that sounds weird since that's like, I don't know, thirty minutes away from here. It's because we're in a big bowl. Like the valley is is sort of an isolated little desert bowl mm-hmm. um, with tall, quote tall like mountain kind of edges. Right. So the heat has nowhere to go, uh, whereas right. the ocean is circulating the cool and hot air a lot down by the yeah water well thanks for the lesson yeah so um i was curious what what made you think of this topic because i i something that well well, actually yeah just i have thoughts but go ahead the interactions that we've been having online the things we see from others this was just like maybe we should talk about this like i see it every day i see people feeling self-conscious because of others success uh, I've been there as well. It's something like I think every human has experienced. I'm curious. The specific thing I was going to ask is your your thoughts on it with particular regard to kind of like the artist, the Internet artist community. Um, if it's something that you see a lot of people complaining or acting kind of, you know, resentfully towards each other. Yes, I do. <laughs> I see it. It's not very healthy. You think it's like a a problem? Like, like is it one of those things that you feel like the community or at least those specific people would do we- do well to kind of get over it? Or do you see it as a motivator? That is, I don't see it as a community yet because I uh, I don't feel like I belong to any community. So far, you know, like I, I share my shit, I do my shit, and I, and I have people commenting on that. But that doesn't mean that they are my community. They just, they're just people that found myself and they liked it, and that's well. It. Okay, then let's back up a couple years to when you were more active with cosplay. Uh, I would, you uh-huh. were much more, I guess, in a cosplay community of friends that are cosplayers, yes. and you would go to events and things. So, right, yeah, that was more unified. You must have seen the same, though. Like, two yes. people make the same uh, costume. One of them goes viral, <laughs> the other doesn't. And they think, yeah. you know, what do they... How do they deserve this? Yeah. You know, like, they get bitter right. and they think, like... That's very common. That's very common. But as you describe, it sounds very silly. But it's something that we all fall into. 
That's but isn't it kind of silly? Regardless, I mean, you know? isn't it one of those like it's it's you're complaining about a thing that's totally out of your control? Exactly. That's that's the silly part because we have no control over others, uh, and actually thinking that we do that's um, that's a little extreme. Some people just start you know criticizing others mm. or just trying to bring them down to so so you feel better with yourself or you know like if some cosplayer won this contest is because oh yeah the, of course they know the their organizer or x you know whatever that is so common like i see it every single time and i don't know well not every single time but you know what i mean it's very yeah yeah it's uh you see it that's why i was just curious because uh, uh, of course it's a very obvious um take to to just ride the whole thing off and go you know, ah, that's so silly. And But I'm always fascinated by this idea that envy and jealousy can actually motivate someone to work harder and to get better. Um, that's and, true. And like, That's true. But, but first off, envy and jealousy are not the same. Envy is a feeling that you have when you want something that you don't have, right? Success or money or belongings I don't know whatever. I mean that's fundamentally um, what jealousy is though jealousy on the other hand is something that you feel when you're th when you're feeling you're losing something that's an interesting technical kind of difference between the two um, I still think that they're more or less interchangeable but uh, I get I get like having something that, wanting something someone else has that you don't have versus i guess being jealous versus uh the fear uh, the fear of of losing something that is the jealousy yeah that is right. when yeah interesting yeah let, let's put it this way envy uh it's um it's in between two people jealousy is in between three people <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that definition, but uh, um, that is my yeah. That is how I see it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I know that, um, like for example, there are cases where maybe a composer that I know, I can think of a lot of scenarios where I would feel I could feel these kinds of things. Like for example, if I demo for a job against a composer friend of mine, and they get the job. There's this idea of like, I'm jealous that they got the job. I wanted the job. Yeah. Um, a slightly more abstract version is sometimes, I actually haven't really ever experienced this, but I know it is sort of a common thing where if I hear a piece of music from another composer and think, I wish I had written that, that's great. Um, that is a kind of jealousy as well that is interesting to me. Not jealousy, um, but it's more like inspiration. No, I mean, I've heard composers definitely say, like, I wish I had done that. Uh, like, uh, like you wow, know, pretty... Okay. Like, I remember Hans Zimmer said that in a... It was in a fun, spirited way, but when he and James Newton Howard... I'm sorry, it was James Newton Howard who said it about Hans Zimmer when The Dark Knight came out, and there's that theme, sort of more like sound or texture for the Joker, for Heath Ledger's Joker... That's basically just this kind of like droning D that's kind of drifting out of tune. This kind of sound. Um, that was Hans's idea. And they were co-scoring the film and everything was sort of 
shared. But James Newton Howard in the interviews was like, that was Hans's uh, insight. And I wish I'd thought of it. It was so simple and perfect. Um, and mm-hmm. he, he felt kind of a, a sort of admiring an admiring jealousy. Right. That's the kind of, I guess, the best version of it. But I guess it's the, it depends how you want to see it because you you just said, I'm jealous that I didn't get the job, but you actually mean I'm jealous that they liked his stuff more than my stuff. Yeah, you're, it's you're true. I, I think that there's, um, uh, there's a wide variety of psychology psychological states going on there uh, because there's always a certain amount of like what could I have done differently what what did I do that wasn't enough you know did th- is this person better than me uh, you know are they are is it just that they were different did they just get lucky and land on the right thing and and none of this is particularly helpful or productive to worry about um, hence yep. Richard's whole shit fuck next uh, idea of like just a the quicker you can pass through it, the better. Yeah. The first thing I thought of when I, uh, when you suggested this topic was, um, growing up, you know, I became obsessed with the world of composers and music and whatever, but around age 10 or 11. And especially once I started really going down the rabbit hole of learning about the Hollywood world, um, you know, obviously Goldsmith was my big, inroad and remained my kind of grand champion but of course there's also John Williams and very quickly you come to realize that sort of everybody falls into one of two camps you're either John Williams is the best ever or Jerry Goldsmith is the best ever like most of the hardcore soundtrack nerds Mm -hmm. kind of land in one of those two Um, (laughs) um, and the general consensus is that Goldsmith is often referred to as the composer's composer because composers tend to like Goldsmith more. But the average person on the streets never even heard of Goldsmith. And I'm guilty of that. Well, it's you and about yeah. six billion of others. Uh, I guess as a regular, you know, consumer, you just go to movies, you don't you don't read the credits, you don't Yeah, there's really only four or five composers in the whole history of Hollywood that I would call mainstream names, which is right. John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Danny Elfman and uh, Henry Mancini and kind of mm-hmm. Michael Kamen. Other than that, like, you know, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, you know, Elmer Bernstein, who was so mm-hmm. iconic, most people wouldn't know his name. Um, and then, you know, once you start going further down than that, it's like, well, obviously people don't know their name. Even James Horner, you know, who oh, yeah. who wrote one of the most popular songs of the last half century from Titanic, My Heart Will Go On. And he wrote a lot of other hit songs. Um, people might know, they, they would say, oh, I like that Celine Dion song. You know, they won't know Horner. Right, um, exactly. Or they'll think of- Because who's gonna, who's gonna, he's not singing in the video, in the music video, he's not appearing there, nobody knows. Yeah. I didn't even know how you looked. We we met online and I didn't even know your face until like, what, like seven months after? Oh, yeah, it's so funny. By the way, it's not that we met in like a shady place where you can't look at any picture or anything it's just like I just never <laughs> I never took my time you're just a weirdo who never googles people yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I just you know answer the messages and that's it I, I don't go we were Twitter friends for, for everybody to be aware we were yeah. DMing on Twitter and I think my yeah. icon was like a drawing 
Yeah, yeah. It was like art, like Assassin's Creed or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So anyway, the point, the reason I brought up Goldsmith versus Williams is my dear friend Kenny Hall, who was, he's no longer alive, but he was Jerry Goldsmith's music editor on over 90 movies. They knew each other since the 60s. And, he, and uh, when Jerry died in 2004, Kenny essentially retired as a result and uh, started teaching. And was one of my teachers, and that's how I met him. We were really close the last 10 years of his life. And Kenny, um, one time I went into his office, and he had some sheet music from, if memory serves, Basic Instinct on the wall, the Paul Verhoeven movie. And it was handwritten sheet music uh, by Jerry Goldsmith and autographed like, to Kenny, you're my brother or whatever. I don't remember what he wrote, but it was a personalized autographed piece of original manuscript from the scoring sessions to Basic Instinct, one of the great Jerry Goldsmith landmark scores, Oscar-nominated score. And um, I was like, Kenny, that's so I, that's so awesome. Like, what? why did he give you that? Did you ask for that or what was the – and he goes – Kenny came in my office one time and saw that I had an autographed piece of music given to me by John Williams. And he goes, how come you don't have a piece from me? Uh, and he felt jealous. I think you you chipped the names. You said Ke Kenny came to my office. So you might want to rephrase that with the name that you I meant. don't know. I heard Kenny. Okay, well, anyway, Jerry went into Kenny's office, saw sheet music, belonging to John Williams, well, belonging to Kenny, but gifted from John Williams. That was autographed, I assume, from E.T. Um, and felt jealous and was like, I'm going to give you some sheet music then. Because he, <laughs> Jerry knew that Williams was kind of like winning this competition. Um <laughs> And I think there's a certain oh I think God. I think he had a lot of professional That's like jealousy. like a divorced couple fighting for their child. <laughs> I mean, it was all very you know professional and and obviously Kenny. I mean, he had given his whole life over to Goldsmith. Basically, he was clearly in Camp Goldsmith. Um, That's so funny. But there was a certain almost resentment of like, you know, all the composers tell me I'm the genius, but Williams has the glory. Right. And I could see how it might have driven him a little bit crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, Williams gets to, you know, have a far more successful career than Goldsmith. I mean, in every way you could imagine. Like, he made more money. His music was more famous. He he worked on better movies. It's like every aspect yeah. that you can think it's of. It's like, oh, my God, the nemesis, yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, I always love – it was one of those funny things that until Kenny told me that story – when I just asked about this thing that was on his wall, it actually had never occurred to me that there would be jealousy there. Um, like yeah. I, I didn't think about the idea that Goldsmith would be looking over at Williams, like eating in the corner, like <laughs> stupid asshole over there, you know, like uh, feeling, feeling kind of irritated. Yeah. And yeah, the perfect example. I think we see it on the Simpsons. Apologies for the <laughs> constant. You can't um, resist. Yeah, I, I know. But the Thomas Edison, uh, episode. It's the perfect example. Yeah. Thomas, uh, Homer wanted to be like Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison wanted to be like Da Vinci. Um, it just, it doesn't matter how big you are. You always, you have to, you have those struggles like a regular person. And we have a tendency to kind of, uh, 
you know, mythologize the great heroes from the history of art um, as being just kind of like these geniuses who, you know, kept to themselves, did their work, and they weren't kind of down in the dirt with normal humans feeling petty jealousy and anger. And we, we you know, like, like I remember growing up about Brahms, I, I may have mentioned him. I can't, I feel a slight deja vu. I can't remember if we talked about him or not, but I was always fascinated by, by Brahms and you, he wrote four symphonies and he's hailed as one of the great late 19th century composers. Um, but he was severely intimidated by Beethoven and he, it took him 20 years to write his first symphony because he was so self-conscious. Yes. And yeah, we, we talk about that uh, at some point, but yeah, but it's a great example. Like, and it's like, you know, Beethoven had been dead. Uh, you know, Brahms was, was like a child uh, when, in fact, what year was Brahms born? Uh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say they, Beethoven's death and Brahms's birth are practically right on top of each other. You know, both, born and dying around 1830. Brahms lived to 1897, I think, 1897. And um, so he never interacted with him. And yet he was so, like, freaked out by Beethoven and so mm -hmm. kind of jealous of his genius that it took him literally 20 years to kind of get the courage to write a piece of wow. music. And that was one of those things where when you initially become aware of Brahms' music, it's all, oh, Brahms the genius, da, 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 da. and only when I took, you know, college level music history classes and then I, I went I went and read this book by Jan Swafford about Brahms is like a 600 page book of his biography in great detail that was the first time I ever really came to appreciate just uh, how sort of you know normal and sort of busted he, uh, he was um, and uh, and they, and everyone is you know everyone has yeah, those. everyone it's just that we just don't show it Bernstein obviously we just see the highlights of everybody out there and it's all filtered yeah we don't we don't we forget that everybody passed through issues and they probably well sorry i didn't want to uh interrupt you oh i was just going to give another example of leonard bernstein a, a famous story from i believe it would have been his 58th 56th birthday party um where uh, he had a big party. Friends were I over. I saw that. So what the hell was that? There's a fly that keeps landing on my camera. Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I was watching it like it was going to crawl <laughs> over the lens. Um, Bernstein, I think at his 56th birthday party at his apartment in New York, was found like in the back, essentially crying. And somebody said, you know, what's 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 going on? And he apparently said something to the effect of, I'm now the age that Beethoven was when he died and look what he did with his life in the time that he lived versus what I've done in the time, you know, the same amount of time. And, you know, cause obviously Beethoven's work was finished by the age of 56. And we look at him now as one of the great, maybe the greatest composer in all of history. And mm -hmm. Bernstein felt like, you know, I've had the same amount of time and I didn't use it as well as he did. Um, yeah. And it was really, you know, really got to him. And, and I first off, bear in mind that Bernstein had written West Side Story like decades earlier. Um, <laughs> so I, part of me is like, you, you know, you're doing pretty well, uh, yeah. uh, if I may say so. It doesn't matter. You always you're going to want more. Yeah. It's it's amazing how as this, this conversation, as I look back at like 
the Kenny moment and realizing, wow, yeah, Jerry probably was really jealous of Williams. Another flashback just hit me that made me go, I think I was pretty naive about this subject at an earlier point, maybe because I was never prone to jealousy that much. So I was surprised every time I found it. Like I've always enjoyed, for example, celebrating my colleagues work, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and when they release a new thing, you know, go tweet about it and whatnot, because uh, it's right. exciting, you know, to me. And, and I and I, I, I can make peace with the idea that their success isn't because I did something wrong. Right. They did something right. Uh, right. And that's good. There's no neg- There's no downside anywhere. They didn't, and, you know, unless it turned out that they stole something, which would be no, a, which would be a surprise. No, but you've also been there. You've been there. I've had my moments. Uh, of course, yeah. I am human. But generally speaking, by the time it reaches the end and somebody is literally saying, like, the such and such project I did is out today. By that point, any like if I demoed against somebody, for example, on a job. Right. By the time it's released, I'm over it. Who cares? Now I'm just happy for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's good. But even then, I try to be happy for them immediately. And most of the time I am. Uh, yeah, well, actually, usually I don't even know who I'm demoing against, so it's kind of a non-thing. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do remember, for example, uh, when um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the Greek one, came out. Ah, and they announced yeah. that uh, Joe and Alexis, the two guys that formed the group The Flight, had done the score. Um, huh. I heard the theme, and I was like, wow, that's really catchy and great. And I messaged them on Twitter, and I said, like a DM, and I said, hey, um, damn fine work. And by the way... I demoed for that job apparently against you, and I gotta say, if that's what your demo sounded like, you definitely deserve to win because that's not that's what I, I, you that's better than what I gave them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wrote back and said, "Well, what goes around comes around," because the exact same thing but the opposite happened on Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, oh they, my god! They demoed on that and didn't get the job, and then heard my score and were like, "Well, okay." Bravo, <laughs> uh, which was, <laughs> wow, and I had no crazy. idea. I never knew they demoed for it until that moment, which was really funny. So we were kind of like, we were kind of like even. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, it was, no, but it's true. That was sort of, and, and they really are. They're so great. You know, they've done a lot of great work. They got a new, the new Gotham Knights game coming out soon is them. Uh, and I'm excited to, that's cool to, um, to get into it and check it out. That's um, cool. You're, you're, I like that. I like one of the things I like about you is that you're, you're very positive. Sometimes a little too much, but <laughs> the reason I but mentioned no, I like uh, that. the reason I mentioned being naive. Well, that's very sweet of you. Um, uh, I don't think it's bad to be too positive. I like it. No, it's no, like, no, absolutely not. Like we were watching um, Seinfeld the other day, and the one where the musicians are upstairs rehearsing, and Kramer comes in, and he's like, <laughs> "I love this one," and I just found myself thinking about like, you know, Kramer's always having a good time. Like we should yeah. all try to be like. He's of course a little bit crazy, but. We should kind of yeah, try yeah, to yeah. be like Kramer. I like that he's just sort of always in a good, like that famous, that iconic moment where he walks in and goes, who wants to have some fun? Like, it's just so good. <laughs> but what I was going to say is uh, my naivete regarding this envy subject, uh, you've revealed something to me just now. I had a flashback. I Forgive me for sounding like an asshole Hollywood name dropper, but, um, but an actor, <laughs> friend of mine, a guy named J. August Richards, who um, who I, I was like a big fan of him because he was on Angel and then we met at a film festival and he was so friendly and we just immediately became friends and like we're, we're good friends 15 years later. Known him a long nice. time. Um, he's directed stuff that I scored and, and you know, he's, he's awesome and he's very steadily working actor and he's also one of these guys who 
he's very deep thinker and he's always thinking about the business and the art of acting um, and and the, the craft behind it and the sort of broader spirituality even and all this kind of stuff. But we always end up having these lunches where we talk for hours and he, I remember early on, one of our earliest conversations, I, I had this perception that there's basically two groups of people in LA. There's like, think of it like a circle and then there's the smaller circle inside where there's all the people on the outer circle who are trying to get into the business, like trying to get on the, you know, if you're an actor, the, you're on the list of the casting directors or of the famous directors, or if a composer, the studios know who you are and are willing to hire you, that kind of thing. It's like, there's basically a circle that once you're in, now you're in the second group and you're, you're good, you're set, your career is rolling. And Jay had been on, you know, he'd been on big hit TV show Angel for five years and then subsequent shows after that. And so it was like this perception that he was in that inner circle. And I remember just asking about that. And he very nonchalantly was like, you know, he just sort of made me realize how overly simplified that is because he goes, you know, is the moment you're on a show um, and you're like, oh my God, my biggest goal ever was to just land a job as an actor. Now I landed a job. The first thing you think about is that actor over there won an Emmy for their job. And it's like, boy, I wish I could do that. And then, mm -hmm. then you win an Emmy and you go, you know, that person who won an Emmy, this other person then got a big role in a movie because of their TV show. And then it's like, oh, and then, oh, that person, then they won an Oscar or that person produced the best picture winner and made a hundred million dollars. Or that person bought a mansion or this, put like, and it's like, no matter what hill you're on, you'll always see another higher one yep. that someone else is standing on. And you can either just choose to treat it as a destination or you can just hate that person for being on that hill and that exactly. you're not on there with them. And I remember exactly. it kind of blew my mind. I was like probably 22 or something. And like I said, oh my God, wow. I, I never really thought of myself as this naive. But looking back on it, the fact that that was sort of like, yeah, you're right. People do tend to just sort of always look over at the next hill and go, damn, why aren't I over there? No matter what they achieve, they can be. John Williams, you know, they could be the most successful, most acclaimed, and most John everything. Is, yeah, it's, John Williams it's looks still, at Stravinsky and Copeland and those exactly. guys and he's like, I'm not them. Why can't exactly. I be them? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's so yeah, it's so fascinating um, yep. how it can it other than the motivating factor. But there's so many other things that can motivate you. It's hard to see much good behind any of it. It's hard to see what <laughs> like it, what positive contribution it makes, you know? I think it's it, I think it's it's you just have to be treated like yes it's natural you don't you shouldn't feel bad about feeling jealous or hate or whatever just try to like simmer that down and continue with your shit and the document I wrote um, what was it like water your own grass and you asked me what is this oh yeah right that's what I mean just focus on your stuff focus on your goals well, is yes, that a phrase that you um, heard somewhere or can't remember it felt like a kind of like a phrase you know like like an aphorism it felt like one I of think those it, yeah I think it's a common thing to say I don't know sometimes I, I say get... thanks and yeah yeah you wrote water your own grass yeah that so it is a quote okay no no I looked up to see what I wrote in case I like after you mentioned it I just opened oh, our document oh, oh. okay yeah 
No, it's a beautifully succinct uh, kind of variation on the idea of, um, you know, the kind of envy between neighbors, you know, the sort of like the grass is always greener on the other side of the exactly. fence. Exactly. Uh, uh-huh. it, it felt like a uh, variation on that that I wondered if you heard somewhere because I never heard it, but you know, sort of water your own grass is such a beautiful, uh, like what I love about it is that on the surface, it seems to have a bit of a similarity to this idea of stay in your lane, which is an idea I don't like because stay in your lane is sort of like you do your thing and that's all you're capable of. You know, like Austin, you're a right. video game composer. Stay in your lane. Don't think about the concert hall uh-huh. or movies. That a little, or, yeah, that sounds a little like the horses uh, view thing. The, the, the What is it called? The leather? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But the I sort of, cover... Yeah. So you just only, yeah, you only can see what's in front of you. Yeah, I mean, people use that phrase when they say things like, you know, like if I'm on a call, you know, working on a game, for example, and it's me and the creative director talking, but the but the art director is on the call for some reason, and if they go, hey, I have an idea about music, they might start by going, forgive me if I'm kind of out of my lane here a little bit, but mm-hmm. here's my thought on the music. Like, they're acknowledging... I'm not really sticking to my core area. And so that's normally how that, that figure comes up. But this is something that Troy and I, for example, talk about all the time because we have very different interests than the thing we're most known for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, what I love about the difference, the fundamental difference between water your own grass and stay in your lane, even though they kind of seem similar on the surface, was that the idea of the celebrating you have something, you have your own grass and... So instead of focusing on the grass other people have, recognize that you have it and mm-hmm. now take care of it. Help it grow, take you know, like yeah. nourish it. Um, exactly. And it'll go, it'll be what it's going to be. And it's a very kind of beautifully positive and wholesome uh, <laughs> take. What, what, what happened to you? Your normal cynicism. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> oh, shut has... up. I'm... I'm... <laughs> I'm not. Don't phrase it like that. I don't want anybody <laughs> to think I'm so negative. But I- no, you're not negative. But you, you're, you're. I don't know. You're perhaps more grounded than I am. Exactly. I like to say I'm very grounded, and you're more like a dreamer. I live up in the clouds. Uh, I'm happy to be the guy that lives in the clouds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we pull each other. <laughs> you pull me down. <laughs> That's not I what you're saying. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, well, take it as. As you wish. Um, oh my God! I'm just saying so we we balance each other. That's what I meant. <laughs> that I can heartily agree with. Um, yeah. Well, um, forgive me that this has to be a slightly succinct uh, recording today, mm-hmm. but um, this seemed how like about, a. How about how about before saying bye? Do you have a pet peeve? Ooh, actually, well, this actually is a great example of a pet peeve. I will not name names, but there are a few composer friends of mine who constantly vent their what is very obviously jealousy. Um, It always is pretending to be something else, but it's obviously jealous. And I see them on Twitter uh, go all the time. I can you can read between the lines of them going, why is why aren't you paying attention to me or whatever? Like you can kind of feel and Mm -hmm. I've 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 compared notes before with other composers like where we're messaging each other and they're like, Do you see what this person tweeted? It's so why would they do that? Yeah. It makes it seem yeah. like they're just 
sitting there so mad at the world and and, and it's a little petty, yes. Yeah, and, and it always drives me crazy. But it's one of those where I think, you know, what am I going to do? Is like, am I going to message them and try to intervene right. and be their therapist or something? So yeah, of course, that's obviously ridiculous. Anything. You know, I like, think I think we agree on that. I've seen that as well on my on my end. Uh, the freshest memory I have was like a. a uh, not a friend or anything, just somebody I, I just saw on Twitter. Um, mm. uh, it was like a, this girl, like a Twitch streamer, and she posted something about, uh, she was like really pretty, and I was like, oh, maybe I should follow this person because they play games, and, and she looks very cute, and the setup is really pink and nice, and I would like to see more of that. But uh, the video she had was like a very like, for me was a little cringy mm. just basically saying why is she not hired to be like a voice actress or um like a face capture she just wants to be involved in games and that's great but the way she portrayed that was very very petty and and that made me say i don't want to follow this person this yeah, you, is, you this probably is... weren't alone too uh I remember once there was a cosplayer or somebody that you showed me that did a similar like they were mad that it was like went viral because it was so negative where they were basically saying, you know, you shouldn't be buying a cup of coffee because that's all that my, oh my Patreon God. costs. And, and oh, you my should God, be, that is so funny. Yeah. And it came across very much like mm -hmm. and, and so all these people who probably were fans and they love to support the, the little guy, you know, everyone loves to support the underdog. But the moment that person admits to what is, in fairness, a very hu human thing to feel jealousy, but as soon as they vocalize it, it's amazing how how much of a turnoff it is. And you're yeah. like, oh, well, I'm sorry, fuck you then. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is a place and time to vent, and I don't think the internet is a good place or n never a good time to vent about that. A hundred percent. It's too easy to look bad and to be taken out of context. And mm -hmm. also like, Generally speaking, public therapy, for lack of a better way to put it, working out your problems in public, I, I always think is better off where you don't invite random strangers to form an opinion of a thing that they weren't there for, they don't know anything exactly. about. Exactly. I'm just not a fan of that. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I was going to passingly mention our, uh, our, our kind of long gestating album of the day of Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, because um, I almost these, forget about that. I know. Well, you had brought it up earlier, and then I forgot about it, and we talked too long. But I'll just mention it briefly because, um, obviously, it's iconic, it's classic, it's it's amazing, it's legendary. Um, yes. And Quincy Jones is very famously associated with his massive uh, influence over it. And the and the funny thing that I didn't realize until recently was that there's actually really lingering resentment there between Quincy Jones and like the remaining family of Michael Jackson because apparently um, they, everybody was essentially accusing the other of jealousy. I'm, 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 I'm oversimplifying the story and obviously, and I also don't really want to signal boost the bad parts of it because that of album course. is pretty amazing, but it is sort of relevant to this topic. So I figured yeah. I'd squeeze it in there before we sign oh, off. Oh, the day thriller. And it's just the perfect, the perfect way to start this spooky season since, you know, I'm already <laughs> in it. I'm already thinking about Halloween. <laughs> That's true. 
That's funny. So yeah, the spooky season on August thirty first. By the way, I have another another three. Let's. uh, I know Austin, you have to leave uh, like now, like in two seconds. But uh, I just want to say that the cover of Thriller, Mm -hmm. the clothes that Michael is wearing are the clothes that the photographer was wearing, and Michael liked that. Like they they had a bunch of uh, different, you know, like options from a from a fashion expert. And Michael was like, none of this. I, I don't know what's happening. I don't like any of this. Michael saw the photographer. It was like a white suit, uh, like Hugo Boss white right. suit. That, yeah. yeah. I just looked and, it up to remind myself exactly how the suit looked. Yeah. He's like, do you have something similar to that? And and they just they just uh, swipe clothes. <laughs> and that was it. That's the photographer's suit. And that's the picture. And by the way, the session took six hours. Jesus. And yeah, it took them um, uh, four days to prepare, you know, to to get the the pics uh, ready for him to see. And after a lot of debate, Michael called Quincy because he couldn't decide which photo was the best. Uh, and so Quincy came to the room and he's like, "This one, like just like that." Instantly. <laughs> instantly, this is the picture. That's what I like for the cover. Yeah, there you go. That's a that's a that is a good person to have with you. Uh, who can, who can <laughs> yeah. just be like, you know, fun. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for this slightly short. We'll do a long one to make up for it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, it's OK. I, I think they're listening. going to be happy. A friend of mine was like, maybe you guys do shorter versions. I'm like, I don't think so. Austin can't be. Oh, I know. I'm the worst. <laughs> you can't be controlled. But no, I appreciate your time, uh, and and thank you everyone for being here. And and of course, we love to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram at brushes and keys. So, yeah. Bye. Adios.